Hey, 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 you're listening to the Creative Pep. I hated that, but we're going to keep it. Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative practice. Uh, we help you reach your creative potential. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date and, and get more pep, really, regularly uh, by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's go. So we got our first factor meals and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely love them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef crafted dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how factor meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low calorie Get as much or as little as you need by choosing six to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. Hey, we got Danielle Krissa on the show today, the jealous curator. If you've ever uh, been to that blog or Instagram profile, Danielle is a, yeah, phenomenal curator uh, of great creative stuff that's going to get you jazzed. Go follow it. Go follow her uh, at jealous curator on Instagram. But Danielle is also a phenomenal artist. Uh, Danielle has a new book out called How to Spot an Artist. It's so cool. It's a kid's book. It's gorgeous. I love the heart of this thing. And this conversation, uh, I think if I remember correctly, moved me to tears. Uh, and, and Danielle is a living, breathing example of so many of the practices we talk about and, and, and why they work. And uh, this was just a great conversation with a friend. Uh, Danielle and I have got to know each other over time online. I appear on her podcast sometimes called Art for Your Ear. Uh, Art for Your Ears, great podcast, great human, had a blast. Can't wait to have her back on the show. I think that you are really, really going to enjoy this. I feel like this is serious creative pep flavor. Um, We get woo-woo, we get deep, we get personal, we get creative, we talk tactic stuff. It's got all of it. Here it is, my chat with my friend, Danielle Krissa. When everything first started, you know, when they were like, oh, everyone's going to have to be home for two weeks yeah. in March. Yeah. I was like, yeah. cool. It's kind of like an artist residency, right? Like, when <laughs> yeah. do we ever That's what get... I did. I did episodes like that. Yeah. 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 And so I did the, I started this hashtag, this 30 day art quarantine. And I'm like, everybody makes up, like make something every day for 30 days. And like, let's like use this as an art challenge. And then, and then it was so hard to stay motivated as you started to realize like, oh, this isn't. 30 days anymore, you know? And, um, here I was trying to rally the troops, but I could not make myself like the mom guilt and just feeling overwhelmed and like watching the news cycle. And like, am I supposed to disinfect my groceries? I don't know. Like we do wear a mask. We don't wear a mask. What? I was so overwhelmed and I, you know, 
I mean, as everyone was, but then I'm supposed to be, you know, rallying everyone to like be creative. And then I was just like, you know what? I wrote a big post and I was like, you know what? You don't have to, if you don't want to, (laughs) because this is a lot, this is a lot, Um, you know, and trying to be home with your kids. If you have kids, like it's just all a little too much. And you know what? Naps are fine. Yes. (laughs) Naps are fine. I completely, I am a huge supporter of naps. Uh, (laughs) I love naps. The, uh, I wonder if, and I'm projecting maybe, but I'm curious what this time since your dad has passed and, and with the surgery and quarantine and all these things and having to cancel your book tour, all that stuff. My guess is that you must be grappling with, uh, you know, getting all your value and identity from creativity and having to somehow come to terms with a new perspective on yourself or, you know, I'm just wondering what's your brain doing? How are you reckon, how are you trying to reconcile all that? Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, I mean, a lot of really good art has come out of it Yeah. because, you know, and like that's, I think for me, that's just where my safe space is, is right, is making stuff. And mm-hmm. so I, I finally admitted to my husband and my son that I was having this like crazy mom guilt about going down in the studio because yeah. I just kept that inside and just, and then I finally told them maybe a month ago and they thought it was hilarious because right. neither of them <laughs> give a shit if I'm down in the studio. <laughs> And uh, they are quite happy to get takeout if I'm just like on a roll, you know? And so now when I'm like, okay, I'm going to the studio, they're like, oh, we'll miss you. When are you coming back? (laughs) I'm like, all right, all right. (laughs) And so in the last little bit, I've actually started making again and I've been um, pushing, I've been doing all the things I wish that I'd been doing. Like I'm making the work much bigger and more conceptual and things that I've always wanted to do, but I've been a little bit scared because, um, of like art school trauma, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, we've all had a lot of time to think. Yeah. And so I'm like, you know, and like with my dad, it's like, life is so short. It's just like, you know, my dad was in Jamaica to run a marathon and then he didn't come home. And it's yeah. like, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. So, uh, you know, I want to do the things I want to do. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Corona, all that stuff has kind of taught us to just, you know, like, that's the thing, like telling these guys, like, I feel guilty. Like if I just kept that inside, I still wouldn't be going down to the studio. Yeah. But like, I just said it out loud. And then now that I'm down there, I'm just in heaven, you know, and I'm, I don't know, it's, it's kind of helping me find my way out. It, it's also, I, I've been doing a lot of talks with people about this idea about, um, the seeds that we plant in our minds. I think this might be the idea for the next kid's book mm. that we allow seeds to plant in our minds that we then some of them just die off and nothing happens, but some of them bloom and flourish and fill our heads completely with mistruths, right? Yeah. So yeah. my teacher telling me, you should never paint again. I planted that bad boy, put a bunch of fertilizer on it, let it grow. It completely filled my head for, you know, almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been doing this talk with like private groups through, guess what, Zoom, um, to talk about the idea of weeding those seeds and like realizing that you didn't actually plant them. They're not actually truths because sometimes you forget that someone else even told you to do that. Yeah. So I've been trying really hard to practice what I preach and actually weed my own garden. And so things like going big, I just believed because I used to do really big work in university and I was, they criticized everything about it, even though I mean, everyone was doing big work, but like I was doing it wrong, apparently. Yeah. So now I'm scared to go big. So I purposely went a couple of weeks ago and bought the, the 
biggest panels I've ever worked on in my entire life. And I'm like, mm. ah! you know, and I'm trying to <laughs> weed that those seeds that tell me I can't do it. Cause of course I can. Man, I love that. And, uh, it's kind of like, it, I'm not, I'm going to mess up the metaphor by adding other layers. That's <laughs> <laughs> just what I always do. But I kind of, you know, these kind of weeds, I feel like they're the kind that thrive in darkness and you know what I mean? And when you expose totally. them out into the open, that's when they die off. And it's just what happened with your family of here's this lie that you believed and you've been, you know, taking care of and it's been growing wild in your mind of <laughs> yeah, they need nurturing me up here. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then as soon as you expose it to the light, it's like, no, it's dead. There's nothing, you know, and I, I think that that's, that's such an interesting. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It just shrivels in the heat and it. Yeah. I, I love that, but I feel like you're getting to so many juicy things. So I want to, I want to go into the story, um, cause I want to get to art school and I want to okay. get to all that stuff that my audience probably doesn't know about you. Um, but before we do that, I wanted to start with this question and, and tell me if it, if it makes sense or if you need any qu clarification, but before you said yes to art school, and, and before you said yes to creative work kind of being your focus, I want to know what life was like before that and what hole did creativity fill for you? Like what, what was kind of the problem that creativity seemed like it could solve before you really stumbled upon that path? Does that make any sense? Yes. Okay. Well, there was kind of, there's kind of a hole where it refilled in because when I was little, I was creative 24 seven, mm. you know, I kind of grew up the art kid. I was always making crafts and sewing stuff and making people like all my friends when we were little, I would make them birthday presents instead of buying them stuff. And they were probably like, Oh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My daughter is <laughs> like, like this. Too bad. Yeah. I made you a paint. I used to make everybody swatch paintings. Remember when swatch was huge? I, swatch watches? No, I, oh yeah. What? Yes. <laughs> I was like, Andy, how do you yeah, not know about yes. swatch watches? And so yeah. I would, and you know, he could get like all different colored swatches. So I would paint, I would make paintings of swatches that would match my friend's rooms. Yeah. That's I, amazing. I wish I still had them. I'm, I'm sure they're horrible. I was like 12. And uh, so I never doubted like creativity was just like breathing really. And then um, after art school, which we'll discuss. Um, yeah. Um, then I stopped. Was deciding to go to art school just obvious? Like it was always kind of, you always knew you were doing that. What, how did you choose to say yes to that path? Well, I didn't. I went to university for marine biology. Okay. Right. Okay. That's interesting. Because, yes, because my mom um, is an artist and my dad was a PhD scientist. And I was pretty good at both. So I got really mm. good grades in, you know, biology, chemistry. But I also, you know, made, I was in the art room 24-7 too. But um, so when it was time to go to university, everyone assumed I'd go to art school. But I had this panic of, well, that's not a real job. Like, I have to be responsible here. And even my parents were surprised. I picked marine biology. <laughs> and then, and I did really well. Like, it was fine. And then my dad, God love him, PhD dad, called me near the end of my first year, um, heading into exams maybe. And he said, um, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, mm. you have been an artist since the day you were born. You know, you need to be, you need to switch into fine art. And I was like, what? 
what? Like that just seemed crazy and risky and like, you know, and I just said, dad, but what about like food and rent? Yeah. <laughs> and um, he said, and I, you know, I quote him all the time on this. He said, you know what, do what you love and the money will come. And if it doesn't, yeah. you won't care because you'll be happy. Mm-hmm. And he really, I mean, he really knew me, you know, he really, um, he framed, like he always framed my mom's work. And so he, when I was three, I'll send you the picture. I have it in my yeah. studio. So he framed this drawing I did of a very large bird on a very tiny tree. Yeah. Um, I was drawing it and he came in and looked over my shoulder and said, well, we need to frame that. And he used real glass and a frame that he would use for my mom. And I just remember thinking, well, I've made it, you know? And so he was always so supportive. So when he phoned and said, I think you should switch, I was like, Oh my God. Okay. And so I switched into fine art and I was just like, so pumped. I couldn't believe that I got to go to school for art. Like that just seemed Mm. crazy. And then it all went downhill from there. Right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Before before we get to that, to the bad part, um, (laughs) what, what do you think even growing up and then, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm being pedantic on purpose just in case there's something, anything hiding here. Right. Uh, but what you know, sometimes, you know, like uh, if you listen to Ira Glass talk about interviewing people, he says he'll ask the same question over and over because it just gets to weirder stuff. You just get it's to true. see what I mean. And I do have my sound, I do have my sound bites, right? Because I have told this story a lot. So you're right. Like keep <laughs> yeah. poking because you might make me cry. I don't know. This could be the Barbara <laughs> Walters of, of interviews. Yeah, there's a gotcha journalism. Why did you become an artist? Um, tell the truth. Now, um, <laughs> Uh, uh, so yeah, I am sorry I'm doing that, but I, I'm just curious of like, um, what you got from creativity when you're doing the swatch stuff and and you're doing all those things. And, and, you know, when you were doing the biology, what you were leaving behind, like what, what is it about, what was it about creativity growing up? And then when you chose to switch to art school or to that major, you know, mm-hmm. what does it do for you? Why do you, why have you always done it? What, what is the, what is it about that? It's kind of like, um, it's like a weird, well, I'm sure you know, but it's like, um, a high kind of mm-hmm. like, I, I get like all like excited and tingly mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> and I just like, I don't know. I've always been like that, like looking in like my mom's sewing drawer and seeing all of the buttons and different colored ribbons and just the smell of the drawer, you know, would make me actually like my heart race a little bit more. And I was just Mm. like, I need to make something, you know, and um, even like just seeing you go into a, a store and see a whole bunch of pencil crayons. It's like, I don't even draw, but I'm like, I must buy all of those colors and make something that, you know, and so yeah. I've always been like that. And even when I was doing marine biology, if I didn't feel like doing homework, I was drawing and painting and, you know, dabbling away because I need that actual, it's like physical. I need that release. And yeah. um, when I, my husband and I, he, when I wasn't really making, but I was, but I wasn't showing anyone and going through all this stuff he called it the art grouchies and he, and I'd get like really pissy if I hadn't made anything in a while. Yeah. And he was, he was like, maybe you should go make something <laughs> because yes. he knew that I would then get that high, get that like giddy, happy thing. And it's always been like that. Like my dad used to bring me craft kits home when he would go um, away for work. He'd come home with like these like kits for painting ceramics or 
Um, I used to make these little things called stumpkins and they were like made out of old nylons and fiber fill. I can still mm. make them, FYI. Um, yeah. I made hundreds of them and he would bring me these books and he'd come home with it and I would just like, I, I can feel the feeling right now. It just like makes my heart race and it's like, I can't do anything else until I make this thing. That's the good, that is, that's the good stuff. It reminds me of two different quotes. One is from my buddy, uh, Will Bryant. He has this lettering piece that says, I make stuff because I get sad if I don't. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> Which is it, which I love that. And then the other one is, I was just listening, and this is, this is just a personal recommendation. Have you ever listened to uh, Hugh Jackman on T- Tim Ferriss's podcast? No. You should listen to that. Okay. I'm basically just going to tell any creative person that I talk to that, but I think you especially will enjoy it. It's I'm not all the way through it yet, and it's just like I'm obsessed. But one of the things he talks about, and I'm not, I didn't even like. I like Hugh Jackman. I liked Greatest Showman and all that, but. I've ne- I never expected to like this interview like I do. Yeah. But one of the things he talks about is Chariots of Fire, which I've never seen. But I went and watched this clip because he talked about it where his sister is trying to get the runner. Have you seen Chariots of Fire? Yeah, but I was so little. Like, I don't really remember. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's I know a, that they, they ran on the beach. Movie. I remember there was some running on the beach. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, and so, I, yeah, I wouldn't know because I've never seen it. But I, uh, this, I keep thinking about this because Hugh Jackman tells a story of how in the movie, the it's about a runner, an Olympic runner, and his his uh, sister is trying to get him to do missions work, which is like the important work. And he, he's trying to explain why he feels like he has to run and why it's important to run, even though there's no clear purpose in it. And he says that uh, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. And there's oh. just this, and I, just, I and whether anybody is, you know, a person of faith or not, there's just something about, I think that's such a, Hugh Jackman was saying that's a litmus test and he was telling his kids this like what do you do and you just feel the universe's pleasure when you're doing it like mm-hmm. you're just like ah this is what you're here to do and it's that, that sounds like what you're describing with creativity yeah that gave me chills that is exactly the thing and I was just saying to my husband because we live in a small town so some stuff you know we can we can go places, you know, and whatever, not totally locked in or anything. And um, mm-hmm. a couple of the thrift shops have opened. Yeah. And I've been working um, a lot of objects and stuff into my new work that I get at thrift shops. And I went the other day, the biggest score I've ever scored. And uh, I was like electrified. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I said to him, I said, in a time where everything is just like every, you, you know, there's just so much. It's just so hard to breathe right now. And yeah. I was like, I'll tell you, man, I go to the thrift shop and I spend 20 bucks on like 5,000 things and I feel alive. And, you yes. know, the first, I was like, got home and I was like, going to the studio and down I went and it's just like, I'm okay. And I'm going to glue this to this. And it is like, I feel like a kid again. And mm. I, f- I think I'm appreciating it even more right now. Like I, maybe I took it for granted before because I could just do that. And now in this weird time, it's sort of like, I don't know. I, I appreciate things so much more. Yeah. The, I, you know, I just want to have it said that you talking about going to the thrift store and picking up all these things. And I've, I honestly, I've been thinking a lot about how 
collage work, which I know a lot of what you do is in that world. Yeah. I feel like it's almost the most honest form of creativity because basically all of creativity is somewhat like this. And this is just so such an honest version of it of like, here's a bunch of things I'm excited about and I'm going to put them together in a new way (laughs) that nobody else has seen before. And it's going to be mine. And I just think that that, I don't know when you talked about going and collecting all these things, I feel like all artists do that, whether it's, you know, metaphorical or literal, like more like what you're talking about. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Where they find, yeah. Where they find inspiration from. And I think, um, yeah, for me, that's what collage is because I love, I'm a huge storyteller. And so what I really like to do is find something that already has a story and then mess it all up and then put a new narrative on it that wouldn't Mm. have existed if I don't exist. Yeah. That's so good. You know? Yeah. And so I really like changing things around. And right now I've been collecting all these things that, um, remind me of my grandmother and her jewelry boxes and stuff. Cause I used to, she was an Avon lady. So she had this room that we just called the Avon room and it was everything Mm. she hadn't sold. It was just, and it was painted pink and it was tiny lipsticks and perfume and powders. And, um, it was such a sensory experience. And so finding all these things at thrift shops, like little vases, like old, you can find old Avon bottles. And when you open them and smell them, it smells like her, you know? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so, um, but I'm, I'm putting them all together and basically, um, see, this is where it gets deep. I think when people look at it, they'll just be like, Whoa, this feels like walking through my grandmother's, you know, jewelry box. But what it is really about for me is about, um, the hysterectomy that I was just basically forced to have because I had all these lumps and bumps growing in me and they're very ugly and gross and they were causing all sorts of problems. And I've had this before and I was very angry when they were like, oh yeah, here we go again. And you've got to have this massive surgery. And I've had this surgery before when I was a lot younger and I was like so mad. And then I thought, okay, well, hold on. I can either be mad and what does that do? Nothing. Or I can use like what I always think artists have like this power, right? Where you can turn crap into something beautiful. Yes. You know, like you can use, it's like a superpower. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to turn these ugly, lumpy things into crystallized, beautiful, glittery, pink, um, old costume jewelry, old ceramics, like all this stuff and recreate what's in there um, in a beautiful way for me, you know? And so I started down this path and then I was talking to my mom about it and crazy story. My grandmother, when she was pregnant with my mom, my mom's her oldest, it was 1948 and she was pregnant and they found a huge fibroid inside my grandma and finding that now is a lot different than finding it in 1948 and they had to do a really risky surgery to try and get it out um, so that the baby my mom would survive and they didn't know if she would even survive the surgery if either of them would survive the surgery if the baby would survive blah blah blah. anyway she had this removed and of course my mom is here and I was like how have I never known this story And so it's kind of fed even more. I was already on the path and then I was like, it already, you know, so it's all coming together and I'm just, 
oh, I'm very wrapped up in it. I accidentally spilled some very old Avon perfume on my wooden desk. So now it smells like rose perfume in there, whether I want it to or not. Um, (laughs) but it's, so I'm having kind of this sensory experience working on it. And like I said, if, 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 you know, people see the work and they don't think, oh, that must be fibroids in a uterus, that is fine. They don't need to find, they don't need to experience it the way that I am experiencing it. But for me, it's been like medicine. It's, it's just been so cathartic and mentally cathartic too, because I'm, turning my anger into something that I'm excited to work on. I'm excited to get up in the morning and run right down there as opposed to just having a pity party and being mad that my body has done this again. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really uh, long way to get to that, but it was beautiful and I absolutely (laughs) loved it. And I, and I want to talk about that crazy creative superpower. Um, But before I do uh, you, there was one part where you said, uh, this is where it gets deep, and and I and it do, to, totally did. And you can tell me, you can say, Andy, boundary, back off. We're not doing that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but I just wonder what about it hit you? Um, what as you're working through this, what is that? What is that emotional resonance? Is it the connection to your grandma? Is it you know? Like, I don't know if you can just try to articulate what what made it feel deeper, what makes it hit in that way. I think it's two things. I think, um, oh, God, it's going to get even deeper. Good. Oh that's what I was hoping for because that's what I, that's, <laughs> we, did, we don't shy away from it here. That's what I like to talk no, about. I just realized I have, I have goosebumps over my entire body now. I'm like, oh, where are we going with this, Danielle? <laughs> um, okay. Two things. One. Yes, my grandmother, for sure. We were very, very, very close. And um, when she passed away, I was devastated. And she, she, like, people are, think I'm crazy. But she, <laughs> before she passed, she, uh, she had cancer. And she was sort of in and out of consciousness. And mm-hmm. she had said, um, my mom was with her. And she very clearly, all of a sudden, was, like, very much herself again. Mm-hmm. And she said to my mom, I just saw my spirit. It's pink. Oh my God. And my mom was like, my mom was like, okay, mom, like, you know, and she, you know, wanted her to be calm and whatever. And she's like, no, 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 you have to hear me. My spirit is pink. Watch for me in pink. And then she died a few days later. And then all these crazy pink things happened afterwards. Like, do you want to hear the crazy pink thing? Yes. Okay. I have goosebumps now as well. And I am like, <laughs> I know some yes. people are like, oh, okay, you let you're into ghosts. Okay. I'm like okay. the spirit being pink. I'm all about like the poetry of synesthetic leaps and, you know, the connection of like, oh, anyway, keep going. You go. Yeah. Well, and I use pink in my work all the time because of that. And, and, you know, people are like, oh, girly Barbie. And it's like, well, no, it's actually because I'm trying to channel her into yeah. everything that I do. Yeah. But, um, so, so she passed away in October and then, um, this is like 25 years ago now. And, um, my mom, um, stayed to help with my grandpa for a bit. And then she went home to Vancouver. So this is now November in Vancouver. And, um, my mom was getting the garden ready for winter and they have a rhododendron bush in their backyard. And it was a white rhododendron and rhododendrons bloom in the spring. So my mom is like cleaning up the garden. It's November and she looks on her white rhododendron bush and there's one pink bloom. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And it stayed there for about 30 days Mm -hmm. perfectly. 
and then, and then dropped. And so meanwhile, I lived in Toronto and I didn't know about the rhododendron. I was living in Toronto and I had, um, you know, those little rose bushes you can buy at the grocery store by the checkout. Yep. Those little mini rose bushes. So I had one of those in my apartment. I had it for years. It hadn't bloomed probably in four years and it was a little red rose bush. Um, so at the exact same time, we discussed this later, um, my little rose bush bloomed one pink rose. Oh my God. And it stayed for about a month and then dropped. And then, so there's just like, and that is one of like zillions of pink stories. Yeah. And like, she just, she presents herself all the time, right? So um, I have a huge pink, um, I had a, a rhizograph, rhizograph, yeah. however you say that. I don't know. Um, piece made of her from when she was a teenager. And I have that huge in my studio. So I feel like she's nearby. And then to accidentally spill that Avon perfume. Yeah. And, and she, like the rose um, is really important in our family too. And so now it smells like roses in there. And I'm using all this costume jewelry. And right up till when she died, every time from when I was a little kid till I was, she was, I was 25 when she died, I would go to visit her and I'd say, Grammy, can I go look in your jewelry box? Mm. And sure, honey, go ahead. So I'd go up and I would just like open it up and it was lined with velvet and she had so much crazy costume jewelry and um, I would just like poke through it and there'd be like a random earring that was broken but for some reason it was still there you know and you'd pull this little drawer out of the bottom and there was those little powder papers that they used to use where you could powder your nose with them Mm. and so the whole thing was sparkly and beautiful but it smelled good and it looked good and so I'm trying to like fold all of that into the work and so for me I just feel like she's with me all the time. And when I spilled the perfume, I actually laughed out loud. I was like, hi, Grammy, because now it just <laughs> smells like her everything. It just is amazing. The other thing, this is where it gets like goosebumpy and crazy that I'm telling this story, but I think it's also about um, just in the last few years with like Me Too and um, thinking about taking my power as a woman, like I very often joke when I do talks, um, you know, artists can be very, you know, self-deprecating. Yeah. Um, people can, but artists are, add a special flourish to it. And um, I always... We can do it poetically, always, almost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And every day we can do it. And so I always joke that I've got these three things against me because I'm A, an artist, B, a woman, and C, Canadian. Right. So I, I basically just apologize for existing, mm-hmm. right? And so... Um, in the last few years, like when all the Me Too stuff was happening, um, you know, I started realizing like all the Me Too stories that I had that I just chalked up to, oh, well, what are you going to do? You know, you're going to be, you're going to be date raped. You're going to be harassed. You're going to be, you know, it's just part, you know, you got to walk to the car with your keys in between your fingers. It's just what we do. Right. And, um, I think part of being so mad lately at the news cycle and at everything and mad at my own body, um, the last couple of months have been really like, no, like I'm done. Like I, maybe it's partly my age too, but I'm just like, no, I am taking all of the power. I am not going to apologize anymore for anything. And I'm just going to A, make the work that I want to make. Um, you know, and B, I'm just going to do it my way. And it's been really like this, 
I don't know, maybe my Grammy's by my side going, yeah, go, finally, you yeah. know? And so it's just been like a very weird couple of months. And, and uh, I'm, you know, every time I have that little bit of fear, like, ooh, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should buy the medium-sized panels, not the really big panels. I'll be like, no, nope. mm. <laughs> buy the big panels, you know? And so I've just been trying to like push myself and push myself and just really own all of this. And I mean, it's scary, but it's also super exciting man thank you for sharing all that you know when you're talking about the pink thing uh i i've been trying to i i love art that works like i like a punchline i really do I i love a you know i like a I like it to have a concept and it to hit home and to all to be succinct and have the mechanics that work. I'm all about that. Love that. But I've been trying to introduce some of the mysticism of, you know, symbolism and in, in things that are beyond explanation and objectivity. And I love this thing. I'm really inspired by your grandma's pink spirit because that you know, I think that you putting pink in all of your work, there's a symbol, symbolic depth. Like Carl Jung would say, that dreams don't speak in symbols because they can't tell you plainly. Like they do it because telling you in symbols is the most succinct, powerful way to communicate this deep truth. And so, mm-hmm. does that make any sense? Yeah, totally. And you know, it's so funny because I, um, Here's another tangent for you. Um, come on. Come on. This is the tangent train. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, the best possible thing is to get derailed on one of these. That's the best possible you know, thing to happen. Well, that's what you and I do. Every time you've been on my podcast, it's like I have a plan and then it's like, nope, <laughs> we're on like analogy highway and who knows where yeah. we're going. Yeah. Um, okay. So I use pink all the time, but I didn't even realize. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't even realize. I just thought I liked pink. I, I hadn't even connected it. And then um, I was in Venice for the Biennale in 2017. I'd never been before. And that was when I was doing my really simple little collages, like a paint stroke and a little tiny guy and a funny title. And I loved them. I was so, so proud of them. I was selling them and everything. And then I got to Venice and the work is so grand and amazing and installation and there's sound and there's whatever. And I had this moment of, oh, my work is so dumb. (laughs) Like my little collages are so (laughs) pointless, right? And so the old Danielle, art school Danielle would have just quit. But jealous curator Danielle was like, no, 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 no. So I took a little notebook and I went and sat by the Grand Canal with a fancy coffee. And I just wrote and wrote and wrote, like just sort of stream of consciousness, like all about like, okay, well, wait, my work is important. Why? Why do, why have I been compelled to do this? I'm sorry, I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And then I also wrote down like, okay, well, if I'm so inspired by this grandeur, why can't I take my work to be grand? I don't have to just work on paper. Why can't I push it? And then the other thing I started to do was I was like, I'm going to think about, I always do the same stuff. Why do I always do the same stuff? So I wrote down all the colors I usually use. I wrote down, like I use Queen Elizabeth all the time in my work. I just like broke down all the elements that I'm drawn to without knowing why I'm drawn to them. I just use them all the time. And I just thought, oh, it's just because I like them. La, la, la. That's not true. There's, there's, There's symbols that you don't even know are symbols. Unless you sit down 
with a strong coffee and figure it out. (laughs) And so I wrote this giant list and then I was like, oh my God, my spirit is pink. And I never, I was like, I can't believe it. And then black, black I use when I'm blocked because when I was in university, listen to this quote, I was told, because I always tried to bring humor into my work because, you know, I am hilarious. <laughs> that and, is true. Uh, so I was bringing humor into my work because your work should reflect who you are. And I was told by a professor, and I quote, look, this is early 90s, look, it's bad enough that you're a woman, but if you actually try to bring humor into your work, you will never be taken seriously as an artist. So, because he was the teacher, I was like, okay. So I stripped all the humor out of my work and then I was left with nothing because I was like, I don't. So I started using black paint because I was like, is this angsty enough? Like, and so, and so I did these huge, massive black paintings. I hated them. I had no idea what they were about, but they seemed to make everyone else happier. So that at school, so I just did that. So when I use black, I realized it's like, oh my God, it's this like, old mark left over from feeling frustrated or blocked or not knowing what to do next is when I use black. So, um, and then the queen, my Grammy looks exactly like the queen. And so do you know that, um, the sketchbook project through the, um, Brooklyn, um, library? I I'm familiar. I'm vaguely familiar. I can't remember exactly what it was all about. Okay. So they, they reached out and asked if I would do a sketchbook for their library. And I was like, yes, that is the coolest thing ever. So they sent me a sketchbook and then I did not know what to do. And I messed it all up. Every page I would do something like, Ooh, ripped it out. Oh, ripped it out until I was down to one page. And I was like, okay, I can't hand this in. So I called them and asked for another sketchbook. (laughs) (laughs) And then I decided to give, like I tell everyone else, I gave myself a project and I decided this was right after Venice. I tried to figure out why the heck I use the queen all the time. And so I called the, um, the sketchbook, um, making sense of my muse. And I had all these pictures of the queen through her life. Cause I use them in my work. And then I was like, Oh my God, I found a picture of my grandmother when she was 16 and a picture of Liz when she was 16 and they look identical. <laughs> so oh that was gosh. the first page. And then I started gathering, turns out they both got married in November. Um, they both had four children um, my mom and, and Prince Charles, the two oldest were born right around the same time. Um, like all these parallels that I didn't even know existed until I actually rolled up my sleeves and went to go and research this symbol. And then I was like, Oh, and I used to use my family's imagery in my work, but it felt way too vulnerable. Um, and, and I, you know, I, so I stopped doing that and about a year later started using the queen all the time. And I always joked like, Oh, it's cause I'm Canadian. She's on her money. I don't know. You know, but then when I actually, you know, got a little more serious about it and like kind of rolled up my sleeves, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is why. And so now whenever I put the queen in my work, I'm like Grammy. And it just feels like, again, that she's part of the work, but nobody else knows that except me. Yeah. And, and now my listeners. And now your listeners. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think it's so important to um, honor yourself as an artist, to give yourself that time. Like, don't feel mom guilt. Don't feel work guilt or whatever. Go and sit somewhere pretty and quiet and write down all those things. And it might take you a year to figure out why you always use triangles. Yes. You know, maybe you don't know why. And that's fine. Um You'll figure it out and just keep it on that list. And then one day you'll be like, you know, who knows doing what, going for a run. And you'll be like, oh, 
oh, got it. And you'll realize what the triangle means. And this is where it gets so fun. And when it gets so fun, it gets so interesting to other people. You know, the work starts getting this depth. But I just want to say huge yes, because so I just launched a new Skillshare class and it's all about what you're talking about. And it's, I went through the exact same process of saying, and and to me, it's this cave, you know, there's this quote, Joseph Campbell, I say it all the time. It's the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. And I think the cave Mm -hmm. that we fear to enter often is to, we think, we, oh, we just like it because we like it. And we think, oh, it's just superficial, yeah. whatever this, or I just use triangles because I don't know what else to draw. You know, some, there's something yeah. about, there's a, there is a, you have to have the confidence to enter the cave and say, why? And you can only do that if you believe that there might be treasure in that cave. And I just try to encourage mm. people. When I was g- coming up and I, I realized like, oh, I love like, putting eyes in the hole of a tree trunk. Like, I love that. I love doing it. I do it on almost everything I draw. And I, and, and part of you is just like, uh, it's such a dumb trick. It's such a, why do I like it? It's just, you know, it's so obvious, whatever. Like, and it's just, I, why do I like it? I just like it. It's just superficial. And then, but all of my, everything good that came from my career came from exactly what you're talking about. It's what I talk about in this new Skillshare class. And it's about saying, no, I, there's a reason. And there's something deeper there. And when you start pulling on that thread, you are going to be, your brain is going to be blown by what you find at the end of that. Yeah. Just like what you're describing. Yeah. And it's so neat because it's all in your head. Like nobody else is going to inform me about this. It's like this journey for yourself. I love the cave and treasure analogy because um, it's sort of what I was saying before about being scared to buy the bigger panels. It's like, I don't want to go in that dark cave. The last time I went in there, I got bitten by something. (laughs) It's like, I don't want to, there was a lot of things stopping myself and I didn't even realize I was stopping myself. I just was like, oh, I don't like working big, but there was really so much fear behind it. And, um, you know, and, you know, maybe I'll do these big things and I'll be like, you know what? I actually, really enjoy working on small panels. That's not a fail. That's just like, but I have to try the big ones. You know, I have to figure it out. And there's so much yeah. power in, in um, figuring out your own story. And like what you were saying about the symbols that come in dreams, like, yeah, what are those? Nobody else is going to tell you. Yes. And there's a, you know, there's a faith element of like, if something deeply resonates with you, it is not a coincidence. No. There is a there's a wound. That's where you, the sensitivity comes from. Or there's a there, you know, there's a there's something about your identity, there's something about your past, there's something there's a reason why. And great art, I think, comes from poking at that thing, looking yeah. at that thing, examining that thing. And you examine it with the work. You know what I mean? You you yeah. ask those questions by making stuff. Um yeah, man, that's so good. Uh yeah. Okay. They're, well, can I throw I'm in trying. another analogy there? Please, please okay. still. So <laughs> I don't even know why I had to ask. Of course you say yes. Um, yeah, come so, on. <laughs> so the, the other thing about this is exactly like, I know we were like just chatting at the beginning and then somehow we just started now we're like an hour in. So I don't know what you're yeah. going to keep from the beginning part, but the seed analogy that I was talking about, about planting mm-hmm. these seeds of truth in our head, right? That got planted by other people. I think it's the same thing as digging around and finding out why you use triangles or why you use pink. It's like you have to figure out the truths that are in your head. If they're really real, 
or if they got planted yes. by somebody else um, and they don't deserve to be in there. Like, like you know, it, it, you shouldn't have humor in your work because you won't be taken seriously. I just believed that. And I even forgot that he had told me that. It just became a truth. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was actually interviewing Wayne White on my podcast. You know, do you know Wayne White's work? Yes. Yeah. yeah he does these great um, vintage paintings and he puts crazy like words right into them. And they're, <laughs> they're, they're hilarious and there's mainly swears. And, um, yes. and he was known for work. He's amazing. He's amazing. Yeah. And so he was known yeah. for working on Pee Wee's Playhouse and all these amazing things. And then, you know, started doing paintings. Well, when he first showed up in LA showing that work, galleries were like, well, it's not real art. Like, it's just funny. You know, people were walking into the, into the mm-hmm. shows and laughing. And it's like, that's not real art, you know. And so, you know, <laughs> Wayne does not mince words. And so I had him on the podcast. This is before I had started mm-hmm. making my funny work because I believed, mm-hmm. the, you know, the seed in my head that had filled my head was that I'm not allowed. And so I said to him, how did you feel when, you know, the art world said you couldn't be funny? And he said... Well, I just said, fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) I laughed so hard. And I was like, I got off that call. This was in (laughs) December of 2015. And I got off that call and I thought, yeah, fuck it. Like, why am I, (laughs) you know, like, why am I letting? And then I remembered. I I had forgotten until that moment that it was that art teacher all those years ago that had planted that seed. And I was like, of course, like, why have I believed this this entire time? And so I pulled the weed. I went into my studio the next day. I gave myself like a 30 day challenge. I always have to give myself assignments. Otherwise I don't do anything. So I gave myself this assignment. I was like, I'm going to make a collage, like a collage a day. I'm going to make them funny. And I hadn't used paint in like 15 years because I was also told in art school that I quote, should never paint again, um, even though I was a painting major. So I'd never, I hadn't touched paint. I'd switched to collage. And so I woke up this first morning of this project and I said to my husband, I need to buy paint. And he was like, well, okay. Um, and so I went to the store cause all my acrylics had turned to solid plastic, uh, cause I hadn't used them in years. And I went and bought paint and I just started playing around and I was I was in the studio for eight hours. I think I made 12 pieces. I was laughing out loud alone by myself. And my husband was like, everything okay in there? Like, (laughs) have you gone crazy? And um, (laughs) I think I was 42 at the time. And I said, I have not had this much fun making art since I was 17 years old. Oh my God. And I haven't looked back. So that was, you know, five years ago. Um, I've made so much work. I am represented by a gallery. I'm showing, I'm selling. I am like, because I have finally embraced who I am. And like I said, like, if you're not making art that reflects you, why are you making art? You know, so if you are quiet, make quiet art. That's fine. If you are hilarious, like me, make hilarious art. Like, do whatever (laughs) reflects you because otherwise, what's the point? Copying everybody else or like, you know, just you're going to think that the things inside you, like those triangles or whatever, don't matter. They do because they reflect your story. So just screw everybody else. Try and get rid of those seeds and then figure out what all of your symbols mean and just own it. And then that way your work becomes richer and deeper and more meaningful. And people see that people can see that, you know, and um, there's again, it's like that, you know, 
me too thing. It's just like, you know what? No, I am just going to do what I want to do the way that I want to do it. And not everyone's going to love it. And that is fine. You can't make art that everyone's going to love. So just make art that you love and reflects you. And, you know, you'll feel so much better and you'll find your people because they'll be attracted to the same thing, you know? Okay. I'm done with the analogies. Woo. No, I don't. <laughs> That's, <laughs> it's, uh, it, that was amazing. And I, I, this is a perfect segue, it, you know, your thing about, you know, doing it your way and, and trusting that is a perfect segue into the book because I feel like that's at least partially what your new kid's book is about. Yeah, that is totally what my new kid's book is about. Well, first of all, I can't believe I got to write a kid's book. It's really cool. That has been way. my tell dream. Them, tell them what it's called okay. so they can go get it. It is called How to Spot an Artist. This Might Get Messy. Um, <laughs> and it's really good and it's really gorgeous and it's funny. Can you tell, tell us how this embodies that principle and that philosophy? Well, the, the idea behind it is, um, it's basically a book about being an artist, even when someone tells you not to be, yeah. because, um, the way it came about was that I've written five books for grownups and I've always done book tours. And my favorite part is always chatting with the people after I finish yapping, mm -hmm. um, you know, and you'll have like, you'll end up talking to hundreds and hundreds of people within one tour. Right. And, um, yeah. I would hear stories over and over and over, literally over a thousand times. I'm sure I've heard the same story from people all over the world, all different ages, you know, like 30 to 85 who always tell me when they were six, seven or eight, it was always then six, seven or eight that they were told by a teacher or a parent or somebody that they couldn't be an artist. So I'm meeting them when they're 40 or 50 and they've just started making art again because they stopped. Mm. And I was like, Oh my God. And I kept hearing this over and I always pay attention to patterns because that's, Me too. that's where the next big idea comes from. Right. And yes. so I kept hearing these things and I thought, well, I can either write another grown up book, helping people jumpstart their creativity now in their forties because they haven't made anything in 20 years, or I could just scoot around to the front and talk to them when they are six, seven or eight and say, Psst, if anyone ever says this crap to you, it's not true. And even if they don't experience that, you know, when they're six, seven or eight, if they're like me and they're 21 and they experience it, hopefully they'll be like, but wait, I read this book over and over when I was six that told me that this stuff isn't true. So I'm yes. just going to continue on, you know, so I really wanted, I wanted to plant a seed, but a good seed, um, early in, in the minds of these creative kids so that, you know, hopefully they can avoid a lot of the crap that I experienced that, that thousands of people have experienced, um, you know, because this book that they loved told them that they were okay the way they were. I was going to go back to that analogy, but do it differently and say, and you, you've spent five books pulling weeds yeah. and now you're going and like spreading weed killer before they even take root. Yeah, that's right. Yes. I am the roundup. Oh no, that's why brought to you. But, um, but yeah, I, I really wanted to do that. I wanted to address the, all the things I talk about in my grown up books, but in a kid's way. So I address, you know, the inner critic, but I call him an art bully. Um, yeah. I talk about, um, creative blocks, like getting stuck and how you keep going after that, but I've done it in a kid way. Um, and I'm so proud of it. I, I illustrated it too, which yeah. I couldn't believe I got to do because that's not usually how it works. Like usually they assign. And it looks great. Well, and that means so much coming from you because you know, you're you. 
and you do that. Um, and I was, I was nervous about it, but I, I also, I had this very clear picture in my head, like all of the little artists are brush strokes and cut out, you know, I, I painted all this paper and then I cut out the shapes and there's a, a 92 and a half year old um, artist in the book who's a little pom-pom. And, um, yeah. and the reason I did that was because I had the story written for years. I've had this for about four years. And, um, but I could never picture, I could never picture the characters. Cause I was like, well, it's like, you know, like a Benetton ad. I was like, okay, are they girls or boys or Caucasian or African-American or Asian or how old are they? You know? Um, and I just didn't like any of that because I was like, an artist can yeah. be anything, right? And then so I was swimming. I always get my best ideas swimming. I was swimming mm. and I had this picture of a little blobby brushstroke like I have in my own work with little legs and a face. And I was like, there we go. And I ran home from the pool. I cut my swim short. I ran home and I just started playing around. And I was like, that's it. Because, and the book starts by saying, you know, it's tricky to spot an artist because they can be any size, shape or color. And they can live anywhere and they can be any age, you know, and um, I really wanted people, not just kids, but I wanted the adults reading the book to see themselves in it too. And be like, yeah, like I don't need to live in Brooklyn. I don't need to be, you know, 25 and, you know, fresh from my master's to be able to do this. It's like, I can do this. I can be creative my way. And that was, that's what, you know, is so important to me is just to spread that message. And if I can help people avoid the huge hiatus that I took, then, you know, mission yeah. accomplished. Well, that, that it's amazing. The book is gorgeous. I love, obviously, the philosophy behind it and, and getting that to kids is what Creative Pep Talk is all about. And so I'll put the link in the show notes so that everybody can go get a copy for themselves and for every kid that they know who are probably all <laughs> still artists. Yeah, um, exactly. And, uh, and we can keep them that way. I, I'd super love that. Uh, Real quick, I'm just going to go over just like a little summary of some of the awesome things that you brought up, uh, and then I want to expound on one little one um, before we go. Uh, so you, you talked about the first thing was asking why and and believing that there's a reason why you do what you do and what you like what you like. The second one uh, is exposing lies, and so getting those things out there, talking about them, um, you know, seeing what lies have grown in your in your brain. The third one uh, you mentioned really quick, and I just wanted to highlight was this idea of like this the dark art of uh, art, which means that you can like uh, take bad things and and make good things out of them. And and one of the ways we've talked about that is kind of like creative jujitsu, where you're you, you know the world is coming with all this attack and you turn it on itself and use it against itself. And I, I've always felt like comedians have this amazing, I've heard a bunch of comedians talk about how they have this, they say it's like sadistic, but like some terrible thing will happen in their life and they'll feel it and it'll be real, but there'll be this observant part of themselves that are like, Ooh, this is going to be good material later. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and at first I'm, I, I think my response is like, man, that's kind of sick. But then I felt like this is kind of like what, you know, Ram Dass talks about loving awareness of like just the awareness of ex, uh, experiencing everything through love. And there's this, this, I don't know, there's this like d deep divine connection of the creator that says, 
you know, even this, I'm going to make my best work out of this horrible thing. And I'm going to do the creative jujitsu thing of turning this thing on itself to be the most beautiful thing I ever make. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wanted to highlight that because if you, you kind of, we, we, we went right by some of that stuff you were saying and it, it's really, really good. Yeah. I think it's so important. It's a superpower. Why not, why not harness it? Right? Yes. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And then the last thing, uh, that you said that I wanted to highlight, uh, before we go is buy the big panels, <laughs> uh, you know, don't talk yourself out of them. Don't go for the medium panels. Don't, you know, play small, you know, do, trust what you want to do. And I, and I like when you said, you said, buy, just go ahead and buy the big panels. Um, so thanks for bringing that, the wisdom of buying the big panels to the yeah. pep talk people. Huge thanks to my friend, Danielle Cressa. Go follow her on Instagram. She has a personal account and uh, the Jealous Curator account where she shares all kinds of uh, really inspiring creative stuff. Her kid's book, How to Spot an Artist. If you like this podcast, you're going to like this kid's book and, and the kids in your life need this to help them keep their creativity intact as they enter adulthood. Uh, This is brilliant. I love this book so much. It's gorgeous. Love Danielle. She makes great stuff. Her podcast is great. Art for your ears. You can go check it out if you want to get started. Good places to start are the episodes that I'm in. If you're into this podcast, if you hate me, then why are you listening to this? Anyway, Danielle, thanks for being on the show. We love you. We, 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 uh, We appreciate you. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thank you to Sophie Pizza, a.k.a. Sophie Miller, for audio uh, content ideas and assistance and support. Thank you to Ryan Appleton for content assistance, editing, notes, management, all that good stuff. Thanks to Jordan Aaron for editing this show so beautifully. Thanks to Alex Sugg for providing just the best freaking soundtrack a podcaster could ask for. Thanks to all of you for showing up and uh, checking this out. I hope this episode moved you, encouraged you, pepped you to the max to go out there and make this week count. Till we speak again, stay pepped up. Stay pepped up.